So welcome, everyone. Today I would like to continue the exploration I started on Wednesday. More on a practical level. So emphasizing the practice, emphasizing the meditation. And what I would like to go through with you today is how within what is called the three yanas in Buddhism, how within the three yanas compassion is practice, the role of compassion within the three yanas, the practices associated, and also on how compassion is viewed, the importance of compassion, the difference in the importance of compassion in the three yanas. So the three yanas is one way to categorize the Buddhist teachings into these three streams. The, the word yana means vehicle or stream. So I wrote these three names down here and after our first meditation I will say a bit about the sutrayana, the mahayana and the tantrayana. And then we will go through the, in red I wrote the different meditations we are going through today, which are associated with the different yanas. Since I'm coming from the Tibetan tradition, I'm trained in the Tibetan tradition, this is the view of the Tibetan tradition. So uh, practitioners of the other traditions wouldn't agree with what I'm saying today. And also because I'm coming from the Tibetan tradition, I always have the tantric view. That means that right from the beginning, there can be a sense that what we are longing for, what we are longing for to rest in or what we are longing for to express in our life is available to us in this moment. Something in, in us wants to emerge in this life and that something is tasteable, way. it's something we can experience uh, today, just now. And how? Mainly through relaxing. mainly to relaxing. It sounds a bit, uh, I don't know, stupid or too simple or... Uh, but the view in the Tantrayana is that through not relaxing we disconnect from the natural generosity and warmth and joy in our heart, through not relaxing. So what we are, what we're exploring is what happens if we just relax? If, uh, what happens if we allow this moment to be? What happens if we are just present to what is happening, to who we are in this moment? 
what happens then? What happens when we let go of effort, of self-improvement? So that's what I would like to invite you throughout the day, and in particular now also in the first meditation, as an invitation to just settle, just rest, and letting go of fixing, controlling. So what if everything is just fine as it is, in a strange way? I mean, uh, our intellect, of course, immediately can debate this. But um, what if this is it? What if this, this moment and the way your life is, is actually the love of God, is the love of spirit, is the love of this, con- of this universe? Or in Buddhist terms you would say, is Buddha mind. Where Thich Nhat Hanh would say, where are the pure lands? Where are the pure lands of the Buddha? This <coughs> is it. What if? What if even the difficult things in your life, and for sure, I mean, you have been struggling until now in your life, but what if, if even the struggle in your life is an expression of intelligence, of wanting to break you open, wanting to give you the opportunity to heal something? Or what if your wounds and your traumas that you carry in your mind and in your, in your body are actually invitation for you to extend your capacity to love. And in that way they could they, they themselves could be seen as expression of love. As your opportunity to break open to oneness, to break open to God, to break open to spirit. There is a beautiful Tibetan word, which is uh, the word Tsokchen. Oh, and it's, it's, it's actually the name of a whole lineage, of a whole tradition. And Tsokchen means the great perfection. Tsokchen. Tsokchen, yeah. <coughs> the great perfection. That's what, you know, when Jesus says, heaven is now, and it's found within you. That's what he said. Heaven is now and it is found within you. And within you, so now I meant like within you, but I could also say within you. <laughs> yeah? It's like, well, you, maybe you start like this within you, so you show, you start to put your gaze more inward, more inside, but more you look in, inside, more it goes like this. Yeah? Mm. So you, you start with 
looking inside, and then it goes like this. Because you start to experience how the whole universe happens within you. So let's rest with that, so just resonate with what I said and yeah, take your time to just arrive here. So if you make yourself comfortable and if you like you can close your eyes to support that inward gaze. into the body. So one possibility is with the in-breath you slide with your awareness into your body, down into your feet. And with the out-breath there is a sense of letting go, a sense of letting be. And then notice how the floor or the chair carries you. the out-breath, you sink into that, being carried. Giving yourself the permission to do nothing. Really notice how each layer of your body is perfectly supported by the surface beneath you. And with the out-breath let go of unnecessary effort. It's a feeling of sinking into the arm, into the arms of a really good and trustworthy friend.
to the breath. with the out-breath, letting go of doing. Of course, thoughts continue to come and go, but they become less important. So the inner dialogue goes a bit more into the background, like the rain outside. It's happening, it has its own life, and you just let it be. Notice that you are hooked, that you are emphasizing the inner dialogue, the thoughts, <coughs> then you, you drop back into your hands, into your belly. And then you open again. Allow yourself to find a place of rest in the midst of your experience. this moment be okay and let yourself be okay. Coming back when you get 
involved in the inner dialogue. You drop back with kindness. It's a gentle movement of curiosity, of kindness, staying in contact with this moment. with your breath, with the sound of the rain, with his voice. Stay here with us. In a moment where you have everything you need and where there's nothing to do. And nothing is excluded. Then when you notice that you want to get rid of something or you try to get something, as best as you can, with the out-breath, let go. Let go of that effort. Even of the, this effort to try to feel better. Just be present to what is like the sky is present. Softening all resistance, softening the struggle. Maybe by allowing the moment to be what it is, you can sense a peace or a stillness. Isn't there a stillness? Listen, listen. Even if you're tired or agitated <coughs> or bored, isn't there also a stillness?
And then with the next in-breath, I invite you to feel the whole body from the toes to the top of your head. Feel the aliveness in your whole body. The energy of your whole body. As if the whole body is breathing. Then if it makes sense for you and it feels good, I invite you to feel the presence <coughs> of someone who embodies compassion for you. Or it could be also some, some people, not only one. So for some of us it could be the Dalai Lama, the Karmapa, the Buddha, Tara, Jesus. And for some of fun, for some of us, it's more people we really spend time with, people we know from our life, a grandmother, a, a good friend. So don't think so much. Just allow a person or a few persons like this to appear there in space in front of you. and allow yourself to feel the presence and the warmth. Remember their voice, remember their gaze, remember their touch. So the whole body is breathing Allow the whole body, to every cell of your body, from the toes to the top of your head, to be bathed in that compassionate presence. like sitting in the sun. How does it feel to be seen and to be loved, to be accepted?
particularly if there's something difficult just now in your experience, bring that into that loving gaze, bring that into compassionate presence. And if your mind wanders, then you come back. Relax and rest in compassionate presence. those people, this person, dissolves into that light of compassion, which fills your body completely, every cell of your body. And imagine that it starts to radiate through the pores of your body into all directions. Feel how you are a source of compassion, a source of love. Feel how the scent or the light of compassion is coming from you into your surroundings here, into this group from heart to heart, and then into this room, and then into the city. as if you are the sun. <coughs> and maybe people and situations from your life come to your mind. And just love and love and love as best as you can.
sharing the best of you. Feeling the care and warmth and generosity in your heart. And feel how your loving presence heals. Whatever is touched by you. And then when you get distracted, you come back to your body, to your breath, and to the radiance of objectless compassion, really just radiating like the sun without differentiation. So I will uh, say something about the meditation which we just did later this afternoon because this meditation uh, is more associated with uh, Tantrayana. So now for before the break I will repeat some of the things I said on Wednesday just to give us a nap 
and then uh, we will after the break go to the metta meditation which is associated with the sutrayana or the hinayana and i will also explain the meditation a bit before so that you have a kind of idea what we are going to do after the break <coughs> so this is a model and as all models it's a simplification and so don't take take it too literally what i say so it's it's, it's like a, a myth it's like a story i'm telling you now to have some to, to have a kind of a map to uh, marvel even more so ar- around the topic of compassion. So these, these three streams, these three yanas, they have been taught by the Buddha at, in different places at different times in his life to a different kind of an audience. Because what, what the Buddha wanted is to really talk to the heart of the people to whom, to whom he was talking to. And since people are so different and have different needs, he needed to say different things to different kinds of people. So if, if you study those three uh, streams of the Buddhist teachings, sometimes they seem to be contradictory. You feel, well, this is what the Buddha said, and this is what the Buddha said? That can't be. It's completely different. But it's, of course, it's obvious. Different people need different kinds of medicine. This, peop- this person needs to eat more. This pe- person needs to eat less. So then you could say, well, yeah, but what is this? One day you say... You, uh, the teaching is to eat less, the next day you say uh, the teaching is to eat more. So in, in all these uh, three uh, streams, which are also, you, know, you can look at them historically, and you can also still look at them locally, because the Hinayana or Sutrayana is mainly practiced in countries like Sri Lanka and Thailand, the Mahayana is practiced within, is in the Tibetan tradition, the Chinese tradition, the Japanese tradition. And the Tantrayana has been almost, uh, almost only, uh, it has been preserved within the Tibetan tradition. There's some kind of little pockets within the Chinese and Japanese tradition also, but it's mainly preserved in the Tibetan tradition. The view on reality is very different in these three yanas. You could say it becomes more profound, it becomes deeper, the inside of what reality is. And with that also the role of compassion. In a way, you could say the importance of compassion. Because in the, in the Hinayana, the intention of the practitioner is self-liberation, moksha. So in the Hinayana, the practitioner realizes 
wow, my life is pervaded by suffering. Not only my life, but the life of all people. We suffer. I suffer. I suffer deeply. Something is not working out. Not only in my life, just because I'm, I go through a divorce or I lost my job, but actually in the life of all, of all people, of all, of all, of all, no, we all struggle. It's so overwhelming to be human. And I mean, it's just so overwhelming. So that's uh, contemplating the truth of suffering, which is an, an important part of the of this stream of teaching. So that's where the compassion starts uh, to realize, to stop to pretend that things are okay, to stop to try to kind of put a facade of happiness, superficial happiness on things, but to, to connect with compassion, to connect with that recognition, I'm suffering and you are suffering, and oh, I so much wishes to be well. So that's what the compassion is here. I, I really wish you well. I wish you, and I wish myself well. But the awakening in the in the in the Inayana is coming about through insight, through insight into selflessness. So compassion here is a kind of facilitator of that. It's a power. It's a healing power in one's mind, which makes it possible. It kind of softens the mind. It focuses the mind. It it makes it workable so that you can use that mind to come to the insight of selflessness. So, insight is much more important here in, in this stream than compassion. Compassion is something which helps that insight to arise, but it's, it's not it's not the focus. So you might meet many, uh, like within the Theravada tradition, many people who are not really interested in others. I mean, there is, of course, the practice of metta and the practice of compassion, but it has not that importance. Because the best thing you can do with your life is to get out of here. That's the best thing you can do, <coughs> to awaken, and that's it. The state of awakening within the Hinayana is completely useless for other people. You're out of the game. So the meta-meditation, yeah, so the, the way so one part in the Hinayana <coughs> to work with compassion, to awaken to compassion, is to deeply contemplate suffering. And I don't want to do that so much today. 
I, I want to work more resource-oriented, yeah? Uh, but that's <coughs> part of uh, uh, this work, to, to, uh, to uh, contemplate suffering. The way, you, the, the way you bring forth compassion in this tradition is uh, through the practice uh, of what is called the, the metta-meditation, the loving-kindness meditation. And in the loving-kindness meditation, mainly what you do is you use phrases which you repeat and which you return to to, to uh, connect within your body to connect experiential with that wish for well-being to yourself and to others. And this is something which does not happen when we do this meditation once or twice. It's something really we need to repeat again and again to we need to work on it it's it's like this kind of meditation is a cultivation it's a training what is important in the metta meditation is that we don't make it just an intellectual exercise but that we start to realize that Compassion is something which happens in the body. Compassion is something which needs to be felt in the body. And this is difficult for us because it's kind of buried within us. We might initially wonder how does it actually feel to f how does it feel to be compassionate? How does it really feel? And the reason for that is we have not received it so much. We have not been looked at in that, in that non-judgmental, unconditioned wish for well-being. Not by our parents, not by our friends, <coughs> not by maybe by our partner. So how can we how can our body know how can our, our body how can our body know when we in all our life we felt I'm not good enough I'm I'm being loved for what I produce what what I mm, how good I am what I, I'm I'm being loved for uh, not unconditionally but conditionally. So this is really an exploration for us. 
we need to we need to be creative to really find in our nervous system how does it feel to be unconditionally accepted and loved how does that feel And then to familiarize our, our kind of our chest, you know, to familiarize our hands, to familiarize our belly with how does it feel. And then if you can give that to yourself, you will be able to give that also to others. Otherwise you can sit there for years and years and say, may you be happy, may you be happy. If it does not come from, from, from the experience of having received it yourself, how does it feel in your body? So the way we will do it after the break is a bit differently than you would do it in the tradition. So we will do it like this. In order to get a sense, like a body sense, of warmth <coughs> and a wish of well-being, I will invite you to imagine a friend, someone you have a warm relationship with. So n not, uh, I recommend for now not to cho choose like a romantic relationship, because that might steer up all kinds of other stuff, like really like someone you feel warm towards and where you, where you feel warms. Yeah? So that's how we, in the beginning of the meditation, will try and play. I mean, this is an experiment. We can't force this. How we can, uh, how, how it feels to experience compassion, to experience kindness, com to experience an unconditioned wish for well-being. So that's the first step. And then we will start to with the meta-meditation towards that friend. So I will invite you to, to, to feel your wish like when you when you look at the friend when you think at this uh, when you think of this friend this could be also a dog um, if you if you wish uh, that friend uh, to be happy you know, may you feel safe may you be healed may you accept yourself as you are so you use these phrases not emphasizing the words so much, not emphasizing the phrases so much, but that feeling of you know, what you have. Like, oh, yeah, I see, this, this must be so difficult. I, I know, and I, I so much wish you to be happy. I so much wish you well. I so much wish that you will grow from out of this crisis. 
So that's the first step. The second step is that then I will invite you to direct that wish for well-being towards yourself. So it's like you, you, you connect with the sense of well-being. Okay, I wish you so much to be happy. And then you take this and you direct it to yourself. And we will use two ways to do that. The first will be to just say the same sentences. May you be happy, but we will direct, we will think about ourselves. Yeah? So kind of we will step out and look at ourselves and we will say, I wish you to be happy, I wish you to, to, to feel safe. May you be happy. Stefan. So I will sit here and I will look at me and I will see the, the struggles in my life and I will look at me from that, that warmth, from that kindness and I will say, Stefan, may, may you be happy, may you feel safe, may you be in peace. So then we will just change the sentence a bit and we'll say, may I be happy. May I feel safe. And just as an experiment, if there will be a difference, if it's maybe easier for you to do it like from a meta perspective, or maybe you feel some resistance when you say, may I be happy. Maybe you feel, oh, this is selfish. I shouldn't think about myself. This is, this is new. It's like it feels... It feels... Uh, it feels awkward, it feels strange. I shouldn't do that. Yeah? So that's the second part, directing that energy to yourself. And the third part, um, what we will do is, I will invite you to direct that energy to yourself in the past into a difficult situation. So I will invite you to go back, for example, to childhood or to you as a teenager. And I will invite you to look at you back then and to love you back then. Yeah? That little girl, that little boy. to love that, to wish that little boy, that little girl, to be happy. This is a very important point in our own work, to find genuine <coughs> matter, to find genuine compassion, is to work and to heal the wounds we carry. Otherwise, it will be uh, superficial, our, our matter will be superficial. It will be an idea. It will be a wish. So, and then, based on that, we will do the fourth step, and that is the traditional matter 
of then opening and wishing all beings well, all children well. Not, not only you as the little girl, but all little girls, and then all little boys, and then also all big girls, and all big boys who are called men and women. And then we include all the children. And then we not only look at this planet, but at all planets and at all times. So from there we do then uh, do what then the Buddha uh, has been uh, teaching in what is called the Metta Sutra, yeah, where he says, uh, like a like a mother holding her child, may I hold all beings in my heart. May they be happy. May they feel safe. So that's the, that's the four steps. We start with a friend to, to get a kind of body sense of what we are talking about. And I said, this is an experiment. We, we can't force anything. You can't fail in this. So whatever happens, it will say something about where you are and what you could work on. And yeah. So the first is friend. So we get a sense of. Then we direct it towards ourselves. Then we direct it towards ourselves back then. And then we go into the Metta Sutta. So, in the Mahayana, compassion becomes equally important like, as wisdom. So, in the Mahayana tradition it's said you need to have the two wings and they are equally important. The inside wing, the emptiness wing and the compassion wing. They are equally important. And actually, uh, compassion becomes very, gets into the very center of the tradition. It actually defines this tradition <coughs> because mm, the intention to, uh, in the Hinayana, the intention uh, to get out of here, the intention for moksha, for self-liberation, is replaced by the, by, by the intention to uh, develop into a way of being so that you can be most beneficial for others. So compassion becomes really like the center of one's practice. Not the longing, get me out of here, but actually the longing to ease the pain of the world and to dedicate your life towards it. So that's the the awakened heart of bodhicitta to bring forth your potential not to get out of here not for yourself but you want to end the suffering and pain the wars in this world and you start to see that that is actually possible which has to do with a different view on what reality is that that becomes an option, that that becomes a vision. That you, you, 
I mean you, you have the potential to liberate all beings in your universe. You alone. And this has to do with the insight that you are one with everything. This has to do with the insight that you actually can't find liberation to, for yourself alone because you are not separate from everything. You are not existing like this little thing in a, in a big universe which really exists and then uh, you can kind of say, no, I, I check out. Uh, it's too much. <coughs> I check out. Uh, that's not possible in this view because you don't exist like that. It's either all or, or nothing. We have to, we have, you know, enlightenment is enlightenment of all of us because we are one. You can't jump out. And so that's why it's this, this, uh, this stream is called the Mahayana. Maha means great. And it's a bit like all beings sit in one boat and we are in this together. In the Hinayana it's like many little boats. <laughs> you have your like you have your own boat and you exist separately and there is a real world out there. The only thing which does not exist is the separate solid eye. In the Hinayana, in the Mahayana, you realize the interconnectedness, interconnectedness of all things, the oneness with all things. So that's what, uh, what um, the meditations uh, on equanimity, what, what, the, what this leads to, a kind of kinship with everyone a kind of recognition that we are the same, that I know you, that I intim, intim, that I'm very, that I'm very intimate, connected with you, with, with all beings, that we can meet each other, that I actually can't find the boundary between me and you if I look deeply. And that that sense of me and the other is completely a fantasy, it's completely made up. So that's the, the practice of equanimity and also the practice which Shantideva, the, the Mayana master Shantideva describes in his Bodhisattva in, in his book, uh, that this category of me and other is arbitrary. It's made up. It's a projection. It's a hallucination. 
So taking care of others is actually taking care of yourself. So the Hinayana is a bit like, you know, if we, if we um, use the body as a metaphor. So let's say the body, it's, that's what, what would we call oneness. Yeah? So the body is the oneness, symbolizing the oneness. Now we have an organ, like the liver. Imagine that the liver develops the capacity of selfing, the capacity, the conceptual capacity to say I, to say me. Yeah? So there's the oneness of the body, the interconnectedness, and then suddenly the liver kind of says I and collapses into the liver. Yeah? And looks around. Oh, there's the kidneys, there's the stomach, there's the heart. Yeah? And then the liver says, Well, this really sucks. We everyone suffers, everyone is working so hard. Get me out of here. I want to have moksha, I want to have liberation. Nirvana. Yeah. So in in the in the in the Mahayana, the liver starts to realize. Hey, that does not make sense at all. I am one. I'm not separate from the from the kidney, and from from the feet, and from the uh, uh, from the heart, and from the liver. I'm one. We belong together. And taking care of the heart is taking care of myself. And it's completely natural to be compassionate and considerate and kind and generous because it affects me immediately. So that is uh, what the liver realizes, that separation is something it makes up. And selfishness is stupid. Um, th- that, that insight... Uh, generates very naturally what is called in the Mayana tradition great compassion. And it's called great compassion because it comes not only with the insight, hey, we are in this together, we are the same, we need to work together. But it also comes with the responsibility to do, to do something about it. It becomes active. It becomes urgent. And also it's connected with the vision of that it is possible. So it's a very courageous stage of of mind. It's really saying, I'm going to save the universe and I can do it. Because I am the universe. It's my job. Nobody else can do it. I am the one. <laughs> I mean, when I say now I'm the one, of course I'm not saying it. Or I'm, not, I'm trying not to say it from the little eye, from the Stefan eye. That, that's not the eye which is one with everything. 
that that I does not exist. That's yeah. So when I say I, when we say I am one with everything, when we when we say it from the little point of view, from the I, from the then it's you know it's rubbish. The, the, the I is not one with everything. The little I is not one with everything. So then, uh, so that's the equanimity, the practice of Tonglen, and the practice of the kindness of others is another way to contemplate the interconnectedness. You know, that we are, you know, that we are deeply interconnected with everyone else. And traditionally, you reflect on the kindness of the mother, but uh, we will broaden that and, and look at, at, at and we look at, we will look at our life uh, under the perspective of looking into how much care and how much kindness we have received. So, and then the, in the Tantrayana. So what is what the what one of the specific uh, contributions of the tantrayana to this journey is the realization of the teaching when the Buddha revealed uh, Buddha nature. So when the Buddha revealed our Buddha nature, what he was pointing to is that actually. Our true nature is love. Our true nature is compassion. So wisdom and compassion are one thing. And that, that, that radiance of love is available to us in this moment. It's not something we need to develop. It is something we discover. So in the Hinayana and Mahayana, compassion is something which we develop, which we cultivate. It's a training. In the Tantrayana, absolute compassion, you know, big compassion, wise compassion, Buddha nature is something which we discover, which is pointed out to us. And one uh, and two uh, methods I wrote them down, which are specific to the uh, to the Tantrayana, which help us to do this, is what is called Guru Yoga and Deity Yoga. And and we have done this meditation before in the beginning. So, in the practice of uh, Guru Yoga, we have a break soon. Uh, in the practice of Guru Yoga. Uh, what you do is um, you are pointed to that, to that ultimate compassion, to that, to your Buddha nature. Through the presence of the Guru, you resonate with the presence of the Guru. So it's like, you no, know, 
a sense of um, a sense of recognizing that within you through seeing it in the master, seeing it in the Dalai Lama. Do you know what I mean? To see it in someone else, to, to protect it back to yeah. you. Yes. But it actually was taken from you from yes. the beginning. Yeah. But you have to go out there to yeah. see him again. Yes. feeling it almost yeah you can like you, you you it's a it's an experience you can't put it into words but it is like i think it is that which attracts people to go into the presence of the dalai lama because because they start to see they start to recognize something precious within themselves and that what they recognize they can't really put into words it's not that they can say, <coughs> yeah, I, no, no, it's more like, it's, it's really like an experience of rest, of trust, of relaxation. And somehow, the best in you comes out. So I'm sure if you have had uh, like a day spending with the Dalai Lama, you listen to the teachings, you relax into his presence, that then when you come, come home, you're different for five minutes. <laughs> but in this five minutes, yeah, uh, you you give your best it, naturally. No, you you are a better person. You are you are you are at your best. And then next time, next day, when you go again, it's it lasts for ten minutes. And then you do that a few years. <laughs> and then slowly, slowly, the Dalai Lama kind of soaks in into your system. And you are, through the, through, the, through the presence of the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama within you becomes more and more alive. Yeah? So your Buddha nature becomes more and more alive. How do you... How do you activate your Buddha nature? Yeah? No, like you need to activate a SIM card. Yeah? So you have the SIM card, you buy a SIM card for your phone, and it has, it has all, it's all in there. It's, the, it's completely all there. Yeah? So you don't need to add something to the SIM card, because it has the complete potential to to surf, to receive phones, everything. It's all there, yeah. So the potential is all there. But you need, need to activate it. Otherwise it's useless. It's there, but you need to activate it. So how do you activate the Buddha nature? Your Buddha nature is by recognizing it. That's how you activate it. And how do you recognize it? by recognizing it in the master first. There you recognize it. And, and that recognition, and the, 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 
The challenge here is not to stay with the recognition of the Buddha nature in the Dalai Lama, because that's worshipping. And that's pretty useless. Dalai Lama, I'm so small. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a phase, of course. That's how the Dalai Lama attracts us, so that the activation of, of our uh, Buddha nature will be possible but it's it's at one it's it's so important to see what guru yoga is about is the recognition of the buddha nature within you and with that recognition you activate your buddha nature it's already there completely it just needs to be recognized So this is a very important question you have to ask yourself if the, if this makes sense what i said is how do i recognize my buddha nature because that's the way i will activate it so yeah i was thinking mm. um, to activate uh, for me it's e- it's it's easy to activate my inner rock star or my inner father or mother and it's quite easy, but mm-hmm. but when it comes to this, it's more work to do it for me because I haven't been practicing. Yeah, it's not it's not more work. The thing is that it is what what we activate here. So what we what we recognize is something very intangible. It's something very. Um, no, like when you activate your rock star, it's it's quite it's easier because uh, it's it's like something, yeah, it, it's my yeah, it's it's like clearer to you. Mm. It's like you know the, the feelings connected with it, mm. how it looks like, mm. how he mo- how she moves. Mm. It's it's more it, it's more obvious to you, so mm. it's a bit easier. Mm. But to recognize the Buddha nature, which is to recognize. A very deep I amness, a very deep uh, ancient, old, boundaryless sense of I, mm. which is beyond all words, which is beyond all concepts. It's something uh, very, very. It's it's something subtle, mm. something mysterious in the sense that it is ungraspable, undescribable. Mm. It's beyond the conceptual mind. But do you have to practice more to come there then? Or, <laughs> yeah. or practice less? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, if practicing more means it, to put more effort into it, then I would say you have to practice less. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you have to practice more in the sense that you give yourself more opportunities uh, to be pointed to this. For example, by coming here. More opportunities opportunities by reading the texts, Mm. by bringing yourself into the presence of this kind of teachers through through maybe videos and through listening Mm. to them. Because the other thing is so easy to go into. But this I feel like... Yeah, I have to look at a YouTube clip. I have to yeah, yes. read a book. The, I have to yeah. 
Yeah, you have to, like they say in the Tibetan tradition, you have to walk through the mist until you're wet. But you, the walking you have to do, but the rest is is like it's just happening. The rest, I mean, you know, so you don't need to walk through the mist and think, come, you know, and and like, no, you just walk, and then as a as a side effect of that, at one point you will find yourself be wet. But it's right. If you don't walk, then you will not get wet. Wet. So the walking here would be to. Uh, to yeah, what we said, yeah, to to uh, immerse practice. yourself. Hmm? To practice. Walk is to practice. To the pra- practice. I wanted to ask. Can you say it's the, the walk is the practice? Yeah, the practice in the sense of uh, no. The the practice of keeping keeping in touch with with uh, with the, these teachings keeping in touch with possibilities like we have today uh, listening to teachings maybe also a sitting practice yes i'm avoiding a bit the word practicing because what what we very much um associate with the word practicing is that we need to put more effort into this that we need to be more that we have a bit more discipline mm-hmm. but, uh, but that emerge, that emerge is, is a good word. yeah to emerge yeah yeah mm-hmm. so the, this kind of practice belongs to the sutra and mahayana where practice is something you know where you work because it's, you need to develop something but here in the Tantayana, the practice is a practice of non-practice. The practice is of relax, uh, learning a very precise way to do nothing. Learning to relax, le- learning to be at ease. So you could say it's a kind of practice. It's a practice of non-practice. Practicing, non-practicing. <laughs> Could you also say that if, uh, for example, I'm making music or painting pictures, that it, and it also gives me a sense of a bigger me, that I could do that? Uh, whatever. Yeah. Yes. What, whatever, whatever, whatever creates conditions for you to relax, to forget the little I and to immerse yourself and to familiarize yourself with the, the intangible, profound, boundaryless, centerless beingness, which is always there in the background and which is in the nature of love, which is in the nature of compassion.